And you may be seated. Good to be back with you. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of Second Timothy, we're going to continue our series in this book. Second Timothy chapter three was where we're at here. You guys, okay? I mean, looks like did anybody not get enough coffee this morning here? Okay, because I need you awake, right? I mean, there's like a coffee craze that has kind of totally infiltrated America. Um, I'm from the Northwest, and uh, help me help me with some perspective here, like. Coffee shops in the Northwest are about on the equivalent scale of like churches that are on the South. You know how there are churches like like two per block or something like that? There's like that in the Northwest. There's coffee shops everywhere. And there's a coffee shop craze and people just love coffee. And you find it everywhere. Like at your tire store, they may offer you coffee. That's at one end of the spectrum. It's free for good reasons, right? You get what you pay for, right? And then um, and some of you... You'd be embarrassed to admit this, but you paid $8.95 for that cup of coffee that you have in your hand there, right? And it's, it's all over the spectrum. And really, you can be an expert when it comes to coffee. And I'm not just talking about that you can consume a lot of it, but there are people that are known as cuppers that are coffee experts. I wouldn't believe this unless I read it, but there's a book called The Gospel According to Starbucks. And in it, there's this guy by the name of Ed Faubert. And uh, he is known as what is called a cupper. He is a coffee tasting expert. And so, um, so perspicacious are his taste buds, they are actually certified by the state of New York. I can't imagine anybody writing an insurance policy on something like that. Uh, like, what are you going to do? Like, I'm just not tasting like I once was. I need to cash in on my policy. I mean, how are you going to prove that, you know? So anyway, I'm out of the insurance world business, but uh, I can't imagine writing that policy. This guy, listen to this, so refined our Faubert's sense of taste, this is from the book, for coffee, that even while blindfolded, he can take one sip of coffee and tell you, get this, not just that it is from Guatemala, but what from what state it comes, and at what altitude it was grown, and on what mountain. Like, give me a break, are you serious? I mean, what if you're a... If you're a cupper, a professional taster of coffee, I mean, what does your job look like? You come home, wife says, hey, how was work today? Well, you know, pretty much like every week, I, I just sat in a coffee shop, and when I wasn't in the bathroom, and that's what I do, you know? So there are folks that are even experts when it comes to coffee, and I mean, maybe that's your idea of the wonderful life, but in case you're just not, like, familiar, like, how coffee is made, I'll, I'll just kind of explain to you in simple terms. Uh, you get these coffee beans, and they're generally roasted, and they grind them up. And then they pour water through the ground-up coffee beans. And not just any old water. If you're thinking, like, you might use the water that's been sitting in your garden hose from yesterday, you know, it was 104, that's warm water. Uh, that's not going to get the taste that you're looking for. You want to have purified, filtered water. And you run it through those coffee, ground-up coffee beans, and guess what? The water then takes on the flavor of those coffee beans and voila you've got coffee in fact it's really hard to extract the flavor once it's been put in and you're like why are you telling me this because there are some tremendous parallels to our spiritual lives and making coffee we could call it the bible blend parable and this is how it works your life is like the water and it is intended to be poured through the grounds of God's word. 
Because God wants his people to take on the flavor of Christ himself. That we actually have the character of God being manifested in our lives. And there is a process by which that happens. When you and I become Christians, when we trust Christ as Savior, his spirit literally takes up residency in our life. And we are to be pouring our life through this word. And the word of God takes and adds flavor to our life that everything about us speaks of transformation. And this has always been God's plan to being to bring transformation through revelation. Now, when it comes to coffee, I mean, you got water, even if you have just a little bit of ground up coffee beans. I mean, you you got some flavor. Yeah, it's coffee, but it's really weak. It's not what it's intended to be. The same can be true for Christians. You don't have a whole lot of word floating around in your life. Yeah, you're definitely a Christian because you've been saved by grace. But God wants you bold, courageous, and flavorful. And this book that we're going to look at, specifically this passage, this is like one of the classic texts on the power of the word of God. In the life of a believer. Let me just give you an overview of where we've been. The, the book, Second Timothy, we've titled it Classic Christianity. It's the real thing. I know there's all sorts of versions. In fact, Christianity is being reinvented. But if you want to know what the real deal relationship with God is and what it means to know Christ, you'll want to spend some time in the book of Second Timothy. Let me give you just a simple outline of it. Chapter 1 deals with the treasure of the gospel. Chapter 2 talks about the transformation by grace. Remember chapter 2, verse 1? You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3 talks about the troubles of our times. Chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And he explains that, and we've looked at that in some great detail. And that leads us then to chapter 3, verse 14, through chapter 4, verse 5 where you see the truth of God's word. Now, I've enjoyed some travel here the last few weeks here. Um, my wife and I took a trip up to Michigan. We flew up to Chicago, O'Hare Airport. Had a nice time up there at a pastor's conference. We're coming back, and we're in, we're in the O'Hare Airport, which is, it's mammoth, you know? And, and you're trying to figure out, like, what TSA line do I go through, you know? So there's, and I'm, I'm very thankful for the folks that are running uh, the security there, because, frankly, we've got, we have some security threats. What I didn't realize is that I was one of them. So I'm, you know, I'm with Karina, and I'm, I'm even wearing my Fellowship Bible Church t-shirt, you know, and I'm just got my two carry-ons. I'm too cheap to actually pay for luggage, you know, like, come on, no. I'm going to stuff everything I need in these two little bags here, right? And so I do, and Karina goes right on through there, but, like, it's weird, you know, so I'm doing the, you know, stand there, and all of a sudden, you, okay, and then over here, and they take my my luggage, my bags there, and then, so I get the wand deal, and I'm like, okay, you know, and then they're patting me down, they have me stand over to the side, then they move me over here, and they go through all of my luggage there, so they're, this one guy's going through everything that I've got, you know, and, and he's taking that little pad of, pad and looking for some sort of residue, and they're going through my toiletries and my underwear and stuff, and it's really embarrassing, and, and they're, and I, and I, and I'm just kind of standing there, and then, uh, he goes and has it tested, and this next lady, TSA agent, she, she's looking at me, and she opens up my little suitcase, and, you know, I've got books on leadership and commentaries, and then she picks up this book, and she goes, now I see why you were selected. This book has so much power, and she starts flipping through my Bible, 
And I was thinking about that. This book, it has so much power. I asked, I asked her, I said, are you, are you a Christian? She, she just kept smiling. She's going through all my stuff, and I'm just kind of standing there. And I kept thinking, this book has so much power. And indeed it does. How does the Word of God transform the lives of God's people? That's what I want you to look at today. Look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. First of all, the Word of God transforms us by fueling our faith. He says, you, however, continue in the things that you have learned, knowing and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. One of the things that the Bible does is it fuels our faith in Christ. You see that in verse 14? He says, I want you to continue in the things that you have learned. In Timothy's case... He had an awesome heritage. If you're here today and you got a parent or a grandparent, maybe even like a couple, like, that actually knew God and saw fit to try to teach you his ways and his word and keep pointing out to Jesus, I, I want you to know you've got an awesome heritage. Timothy had that. His dad, we have no uh, evidence that he was a believer. He was a Greek Gentile, kind of out of the picture. Kind of one of the absent dads, but he had a he had a mother and a grandmother. Remember in Second Timothy chapter one verse five, you know, it's where I'm Paul's writing, for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. Timothy, from a very early age, you got a mother and a grandmother, and they were teaching you the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, and notice what it does. It gives you, I don't want you to miss this, it gives you, look, verse 15, the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings was a phrase that was used to speak of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And what he's saying there is that the scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament points to Jesus. It shows us who he is. Why we need him, that he is going to be this savior from sin. I mean, the Bible actually establishes that God is the sovereign of the universe, that he is the creator of humanity. You and I are owned by him. We belong to him by virtue of the fact that he made us. And all of life is meant to be lived in relationship with him. And yet we are so wayward, so rebellious, so sinful. And that is highlighted through the scriptures. The scriptures show us our sinfulness. All we have to do is look in a mirror. We see it. And it keeps pointing to a savior, giving prophecies and promises and giving us details about this one who will reconcile humanity to himself. And it is pointing to Jesus. And if you want real relationship with God, I don't want you to miss verse 15. It is found in faith, which is in Christ Jesus. If you want relationship with God, it's found in Christ. Really interesting. When you go through the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, one of our life groups is going through it, you will notice time and time again, they actually speak and reference and preach on Old Testament scriptures, because at that point, that's pretty much all they had. But they kept showing how the scriptures keep pointing to Jesus. In fact, it was Jesus that said in Luke 24, 27, remember, they're on this road to Emmaus, and he's got these two disciples, and they don't recognize Jesus because he prevents them from seeing him. For who he really is. And remember in Luke 24 verse 27 says. Then beginning with Moses 
and with all the prophets, he, speaking of Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Man, I would have loved to have been on that walk. Can you imagine Jesus, the eternal son of God, explaining how all of the Old Testament scriptures point to him? That's indeed what it is. If you're here today and you want real relationship with God, you not only want forgiveness of sins, but you really want to know God. There's this yearning inside of you. It's not found in in just like church attendance, having some nice Bible, standing up, singing some songs. Uh, It's not found in any behavior. It's found in belief, in trusting Christ. Salvation is found in having trust, faith, confidence in a person, the God-man, Christ Jesus. Now, I'll tell you, there's a lot of counterfeits that are out there. A lot of folks that have ideas on what true spirituality is, you just have to walk through a bookstore or go through a few websites and be like, wow, there's just anything you might want. It's out there. You got some religious looking folks and they've got some different clothing on and they might look all holy and religious or they may not, but they've got a solution to your life. Friends, there is but one. You want real relationship with God? It's found in relationship with Christ. And this is what the word of God does. It fuels our faith in him. When we're discouraged, when we're depressed, when we don't see how it's going to work out, when we need hope, God provides faith. And you know how he does it? He does it through his word. It's like this life, man, it gets beaten us down, right? And we just like get focused on the horizontal. And what the Bible does, it lifts our heart and our eyes and our mind back on Christ. It points out that God is in control and that he's good and that he's worthy of our worship. And Jesus said, follow me. He didn't tell us that he's going to have it all tell us how it's all going to work out. He just says, I want you to follow me. Don't worry about anybody else. And you know what? It's the Bible that keeps fueling our heart and our faith in Christ. That's what the word of God does. He transforms us by fueling our faith. But I want you to see something else. Not only does the word of God transform us by fueling our faith, But it transforms us by guiding our growth. Look at verses 16 and 17. You ought to memorize these verses. If you're looking for some fridge verses this week, let these two verses be it. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So he... in He had been referring to in verse 15 as the sacred writings, speaking of the Old Testament. Now in verse 16, he says, all scripture. Paul understands that God is with now the presentation of Jesus, giving further revelation, which we are going to be calling the New Testament. He is actually having men who are either apostles or close associates to the apostles writing holy writ. So that there's going to be a complete canon. And so he says, all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired literally means from the breath of God. And that doesn't mean that the human authors were inspired people. What it means is that when God had them writing scripture, those writings are inspired. They literally are writing or speaking the words that God intended. He's going to use their background, their education, where they live, what they've gone through, their vocabulary. But he is going to make sure that the words that are written are the exact words he intended. Now, sometimes when we uh, come across this idea of like inspiration, we like, man, 
Shakespeare was an inspired writer, or we talk about like uh, Jean Stratton Porter. She was an inspired writer. But actually, that's not how the scriptures use inspired. It's like it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. They revealed his truth and using the words that he intended. And notice what the word does. All scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable, meaning beneficial, productive, sufficient for four things. And I don't want you to miss this for, first of all, for teaching. You see, God gives us what we need to know, what is right, what is wrong, what is morality, how to handle situations, how to go through trial, who God is, who we are, why we need him, the awesomeness of the son, where we've been, where we're at and where we're going. He gives us the beginning and he gives us the eternity, eternity that you find at the end of this book. All of this is given to us by God. And I want you to know that you and I cannot develop apart from this book. It's kind of like reading. Do you know that if you never learn how to read, your mind doesn't fully develop to the capabilities that it could? Because reading is essential for that. Same is, same is true for the word. If you're going to truly mature, you have to be able to engage the word because the word of God is profitable for teaching. It'll tell us what's helpful and what's holy, what's going to hurt you. It describes sin in all of its gory detail, and it shows us the wonders of the Savior. It is everything we need, he says, all scriptures inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching. It's also profitable for, look at this, verse 16, for reproof. This has the idea of, of showing wrong behavior or wrong beliefs. And that's what God's revelation, the word, does. It shows us like when our behavior is out of line with his holiness or our belief system, what we're believing, if there's something erroneous, wrong or faulty to it, it's the word of God that shows us what true faith is. It reproves us. And so you shouldn't be surprised that when you read the word that the spirit of God doesn't bring a sense of conviction like if you like God addresses our pride issues or our anger or our um, failure to accept responsibility or our lack of forgiveness. The word of God brings this to our mind. It is the reproving work of scripture. But here's something about God. God not only shows us our need where we're off. That's what the word sin means. Don't you, you know, it means to miss the perfect mark. God not only shows us our sin, he reproves us, but he also, notice what the text says, he brings about correction. This is the word that, that reveal, uh, means to set something in its proper position. So if something has fallen, it is corrected, it is set back up. If a person has stumbled, to correct is to bring them back up where they are walking again. That's what the scripture does. It puts us back on our feet. And then finally, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is the word that is used, this training, to like train a child. It's a long-term process. And I'm still working with my four kids. I wish, I wish like training your children was like instantaneous. Wouldn't that be cool? Kids, we're going to have a little devotional here. Gather around. No. I need about 15 minutes. 
dump. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. And they like, got it, Dad. We're good. All right, let's go play basketball. I think you're perfectly sanctified, right? Does it work that way in your home? No, of course not. It's a process, right? It's an ongoing process. It's, you know, like one step forward, about 12 back. What happened here, you know? But it's an ongoing process, and so it is when we're the children of God. We've been adopted into his family. We are saved by grace. We need a savior, and that becomes uh, extremely relevant and obvious, like every day. But God is in the process of helping us grow, of training us in righteousness. And you know how he does it? He does it through his word. The spirit of God takes the word of God and accomplishes the work of God in believers' lives. And it says he trains us in righteousness for a purpose. Look at verse 17. So that the man of God may be adequate. That doesn't mean like, well, they're just kind of an adequate person. It actually has the idea of being capable and proficient. You are capable of doing what God intended. And what is it he's intending us to do? To be equipped for every good work, fully prepared. You see, the word of God shapes us into the image of Christ where our character, like how we handle situations, what we talk about, how we think, how we live, how we respond, we actually are reflecting the character of Jesus. And he uses the word in that process. It's like John Stott said, quote, Scripture is the chief means which God employs to bring the man of God to maturity. So if you want to move past being a snowflake Christian, uh, just pretty, you know, uh, not, not real rich in terms of flavor, okay? You're like, you know what? That ain't working for me. I, I need maturity in my marriage, with my kids, at work, uh, in this church. I want to grow. I do not want to be inch deep any longer. The word will bring you to maturity. It says right here that the word of God makes you adequate, sufficient, complete, equipped for every good work. You see, God does not want us just to have the right beliefs. He wants the accompanied behavior to match. And that is kind of one of the faults of Bible churches. You get a lot of smart people, men and women, and they actually know quite a bit about the Bible. And they, got, they have orthodox theology. I mean, they got it down. Problem is sometimes, though, the behavior is lacking. Like, wow, you got great theology. Man, you know the word. You, what do you mean? You memorized that whole book? But then the behavior is like, this is irreconcilable. You see, if you know the word, there should be the translation that it's starting to flow out of your life. Now, of course, no one's perfect. But God wants this pattern of growth, of maturity. And the only way that happens is through the word. It trains us in righteousness. God equips us for every good work, work, and that's what he intends to do through your life. Not just have the right beliefs, but to have the accompanied right behavior. And that is possible because the spirit of God has literally been invested in our life the moment you and I believe in Jesus Remember like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10? Remember those verses? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? It's the gift of God, not as a result of your works, that no one should boast. If you're a Christian, it had nothing to do with your good behavior. You don't become Christian because, 
well, you've cleaned up your act and you're decent and God really wanted you on the team. No. What happened is God was gracious. You were wicked, wild, running the opposite direction. That's my story. I'm sure that's your story too, right? And Jesus extended grace, gave you the gift of faith, and you believed in him. And you received something you could never earn. Cleansing, forgiveness, relationship with God. And do you know why Christ has saved you? Does anybody have any idea? Well, all you have to do is look at the next verse. What? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God wants you and I involved in his good work in this life through the strength of Christ. In your family, our homes, in our community, at work, in our church, outside the walls. God intends to do good. And you know how he's going to do it? Through his people that are trusting him and equipped by him. And how are we equipped for good works? Like how are we going to know what to do? How to love? How to be strengthened? What wisdom looks like? You don't have to guess. What does the text says? You see, the scripture has been given to us. Why? Verse 17. So the man of God and that man that recovers men and women may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's the word of God. If you want wisdom, you want to have not only right relationship with God, but you want to actually have some right relationships with others, like your spouse if you're married or if you're single, with your friends, with your coworkers, folks in the church, with your enemies. This is the book for you. You want to experience peace. You want to know rest. You want to know how to go through your trials. You want your faith developed and you want to know how to mature. So the place where you're actually discipling others, so they develop a Christ-centered maturity in their life. God has given us his word to equip us for every good work. Now, it kind of seems like this, that we take on the flavor of whatever is passing through us, right? Whatever is passing through our life, we kind of take on the flavor. So for a minute, just think about what is it like, you know, you're filling your mind with? Where are you getting your source of information and inspiration and encouragement? Uh, what, what is it? I mean, I want you to think about it honestly. Really, what, what fuels your soul? What are you feeding your mind with? You see, whatever you're fueling your heart and your soul with, that has a way of then becoming the flavor of your life. Let's say we were to load you guys all up in a bus and take you to a dairy farm. <laughs> you got all these Holsteins, they're all packed in there. And we're all sitting along the fence there, and I grab a shovel and a bucket. And you're like, hey, what are you doing? Just watch this. And I get in there with all those cows there, and I put that shovel in the ground, and I pull up some, what are we going to call this now? Some very richly, highly uh, fertilized soil, right? And I put that in the bucket. And I say, coffee time. All right, come on, come on, come on. And I put that in where normally where the ground up coffee is. And I'm putting some of our sampling of our fine Holstein wares right there. And then we run some really quality filtered water through that. And I say, coffee time, drink up. Any takers, would any of you? I had a lady right over here. She, she was like this. I'm like, no, don't do it. You don't, that would make you really sick. You do not want to drink that. I would not advise it. I'm telling you this because whatever's running through your life, right? You're like the water. Whatever you have, if, if it's God's word, that's going to be reflected. And if it's just trash, sinister, vile, repulsive, whether you're watching it, reading it, listening to it, singing it, friends, it, it has a way of coming out of your life. And if you're wondering why, 
man, I, this, this Christian thing's not working. Uh, my, I, my relationships are broken. I have no peace. I, I'm, I'm in a bad situation. I'm in a bad state of frame of mind. Let me just ask you, what did you expect? You see, we take on the flavor of whatever is passing through our lives. Scripture is like an aquifer. It purifies us. At the same time, it fortifies us and it makes us strong. If you do not have the Bible flowing through your life on somewhat of a regular basis, you've probably grown anemic. And it's showing up. And this passage is saying, listen, I want you to experience joy, to know Jesus in depth. I want you to know maturity. I want you to respond differently. I want you to grow and fulfill your roles. And I want you to see your life as a Christ-centered life. And this is the book by which it's done. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 12, 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? How do you get your mind transformed? Is it somehow finding a pattern of getting this book, which we call the Bible, into your heart and your mind? Louis Verberg wrote a book called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. And in this book, she talks about a famous first century rabbi by the name of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva noticed one day when he's just kind of running around about this this small little stream and it would drip over a ledge And this small little dripping over the ledge hit this large boulder that had literally been creviced by the drops of the water. So there's the water coming down, and it created this huge hole in this massive rock. And the rabbi Akiva was looking at this, and he was thinking, wow, you know, if mere water can do this, how powerful that is. You know, if, if, let's say all the water just came at once, just splashed on the rock, well, the rock would go unchanged. But it was the slow dripping, how the water would come off the ledge and hit that rock. That's what created this change, this shaping. And he's thinking, if water can drip and do that to this boulder, how much more the dripping of the word of God can do in my life? Well, when Lois was recounting this, I want to read to you what she wrote in her book. When I first started studying the Bible's Hebraic context, I wanted one commentary that would teach me everything, one class that would explain it all. And I've been there like, just just give me the class. What's the book? I will read it. I'll master it, right? But it doesn't work that way. She keeps on writing, if I could learn all the right answers in one marathon event, all the better. I find now that God likes to reveal truth over many years as I study alongside others. I realize now that big splashes aren't usually God's way of doing things. Instead, through the slow drip of study and prayer, day after day, year after year, he shapes us into what he wants us to be. That's how it works. It's not just some big splash. It's just the dripping each day, each week, shaping our understanding and our comprehension. And that begins to form our convictions and our values, our beliefs, our attitudes. They start, they start changing because they're informed by God's word and the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit keeps calling us to holiness. And then from our convictions, I mean, we live out what we believe. Our behavior starts changing. 
And it's generally not just flash overnight, instant maturity. It's, uh, it's a process, very much like a drip, starting to change a stone. You know uh, that parable of the sower? It's in three of the Gospels. Remember that? Seed goes out and hits these different types of soil. But only one actually yields fruit and bears this bountiful harvest. And Jesus said, you need to understand here, I'm talking a little bit more about seeds and soil. I'm talking about you, your heart, and the word of God. Your heart has much to do with your spirituality. If you've got a hard heart or a shallow heart or a distracted and divided heart, it's not going to yield the results that you could have if you had a heart that is receptive and maturing. I mean, when we're desiring God's word, we, we want to hear, we want to learn. I mean, it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt. That means some changes. And that means some apologizing, confessing, and repenting. That's okay. My heart, like, Lord, I want you. Do you see when we do that? I know we all have these times, like, we see that growth happening in our life. It starts with your heart. So how do you fill your and flavor your life with the word of God? How do you do that? We're like, we want to have the flavor of the word of God. How do you do it? I just wrote down some things. I'll just share them with you. One, just hear it preached. Hear it preached on a regular basis. You want to be in a church that teaches the Bible, teaches you how to study it, how to know it, and teaches the Word. Not just some great ideas, but teaches the Word. You want to read and reflect on it regularly. Listen to it. Uh, Study it. Like, actually kind of like break it down here, maybe outline it. Try to, like, put a theme to a passage. Like, what is he saying here? Another one. Apply it. Ask God, how does this apply to your life? It's really interesting when you ask that question. And here's another one. Teach it. You know, there's so many opportunities, whether with our children, students, adults. I'll always tell you this. The teacher gets cut the deepest. Because, man, you are wrestling with this truth. It's It's just a way to flavor your life with the word of God. Transformation comes from applying revelation. And friends, that fellowship... We want to be a church that's growing deep in Christ. We don't want to be just like, we got, we got the right doctrine, and uh, we're, uh, we've got scriptural truth, and we believe it. We want to live it. And the only way that happens is the Word of God has a role in our life. You see, godliness is never produced apart from God's Word. Sanctification is never divorced from Scripture because people are always transformed by truth. There's a book called Kingdom of Ice. It's uh, written by a journalist by the name of Hampton Sides. And in the book, he talks about this failed 19th century polar expedition of the USS Jeanette. It was captained by Lieutenant George DeLong. Now, Lieutenant George DeLong wanted to discover the North Pole. And uh, man, he had a great situation. He had some maps that were produced by Dr. August Heinrich Peterman. Now, Dr. Peterman didn't actually know what was at the North Pole. And so these maps that he made and published suggested that there was a thermometric gateway through the ice that opened onto a vast polar sea on the top of the world, that there was a fair weather passage beyond all the ice. And so DeLong based his entire expedition uh, on these maps. So he started off from San Francisco and he was going to go up the Bering Straits and he was looking for this See that actually doesn't exist. And it turned out he was heading to a world that didn't exist. And pretty soon his ship 
became encased in ice, and eventually the ice crushed it. So far lost were they, basing their whole journey on this wrong map. They tried to survive, and most of them, 20 of them, including Lieutenant DeLong as well, died trying to find civilization again. You see, the maps were a total fraud. And I tell you this because there are a lot of faulty, fanatical maps out there telling you, hey, you want life? Anything from asceticism to hedonism, man, this is where it's at. Friends, if you really want the map for life, if you really want life itself, you want Christ and his word. And transformation never is apart from God's revelation. So the next time you see a cup of coffee or you see some coffee being made, I want you to just take a quick minute just to think about, interesting, how that water has taken on the flavor of those coffee beans. God intends for me to take on the flavor of his word that we would know and show the ministry of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for an awesome text of scripture. You are so good to us. You have given us your spirit and your word. And you're bringing transformation even in this very minute. You're changing how we think. You're giving us a yearning and a desire to be a people of the book, to know you deeply and intimately. And for someone who has come here today who's never trusted Christ, you've been perhaps drawing them to yourself for some time. Would they just pray with me and say, Lord, I turn from myself and my sin. And this morning, I believe and trust in Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Lead me, teach me. And Lord, for all of us, Fill us with a desire for you. Keep us going back to the book so our heart keeps going back to you. Accomplish your purposes in our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.